Hi there, this is Sanjay Parekh, and I'm the host of the Business of Meaning podcast. I'm here today uh, with Jonathan Key. He's the founder and CEO of Labor Exchange. Um, Jonathan is a serial entrepreneur who started and managed several high growth companies. He's got a background in both recruitment, HR, and SME businesses. And this has really given him a unique insight into the failings and also the opportunities in the recruitment industry. So welcome, Jonathan. Hiya. So, Jonathan, just to give everyone a little bit of an insight into yourself, it'd be great to understand your journey uh, and how you got to where you are today. Oh, wow. Uh, That's a really weird one. (laughs) All, All the way back or relatively recently? Relatively recently, just to give us some sort of insight into why you sort of started the uh, Labour Exchange and sort of, you know, where, what, okay. what past experience is really relevant to, to, to this business. Fair enough. So, so I'll, I'll, I'll pluck it. It's a kind of a really interwoven thread, actually. So um, I've got a background in accounts and finance. Um, and I was a management accountant and business analyst for Cobbland Restaurants for quite a few years. Um, I then started my own catering company. I say catering company. It, it was uh, this. This was years and years before Deliveroo and Uber. But we was doing modern European food delivered straight to your door, hot and fresh. So it was quite revolutionary, and you could order online. It was it was really cutting edge. Um, and the one thing we always struggled for was staff. Um, on Friday nights, Saturday nights, as you could imagine. Um, I then went on to manage a national supermarket chain, and it was their policy that all the uh, employees, bar the management, were on a fixed 15-hour-a-week contract with with the promise of overtime that they'd get more hours and so on and so forth. But quite often what happened is during the slack times, everyone only worked 15 hours a week. And I remember one particular guy called Steve, brilliant bloke, uh, really hard worker. Uh, He was in virtual tears because he said, I can't afford to buy my daughter a pair of school shoes. Um, I need more hours. Can you increase my contract? And I said, I'm really sorry, Steve. It's company policy. We can't. And I said, why don't you get another job that fits around this job? And he said, that's impossible. He said, because any job I go for wants me to be flexible and the rotor, you write, needs me to be flexible each week because the rotor changes. And he's so said, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck. I'm in limbo. And it was at that point that the, the cogs in the brain went, wow, you would have been really useful uh, three or four years ago, Friday night, Saturday night, you, you, you could have earned the money you needed. So I then worked in um, HR, HR and recruitment for four or five years and I spoke to probably over 500 different small business owners who all said the same thing they cannot get the staff they need when they need them Um, and I spoke to countless probably thousands of different people and they they all said the same thing from people with traditional office jobs to laborers everyone wanted to earn slightly more money when convenient to them, especially, however, the underemployed parents and carers. Those three segments are really excluded from earning the amount they want to work. So I did some calculations, and, and I kind of worked out that, that there's probably plus 150 million man hours 
um, nearly a week wasted in this country because people want to work more hours. It's absolutely ridiculous. All at the same time that businesses state there is labour shortages, they can't get the people they need, um, which gave birth to the idea for of labour exchange. I kind of looked from the recruitment side what the blockers are that stop people uh, working for businesses. And there are barriers put in specifically and especially by the recruitment industry. This is this is my opinion that this part, um, and they they put them in accidentally sometimes sometimes on purpose. They put in screening, countless loads of screening. But all the evidence you ever get is that uh, the only person's opinion that counts in the hiring process is the hiring manager. So you, as a recruitment person, countless times you think this person is perfect for the job. They're definitely going to get it brilliant let's go and the hiring manager go nope not the person i'm looking for because everyone's got a different opinion so then there's cost uh, recruitment is still a very manual industry with lots of people especially in the temporary side uh, moving people around so that cost barrier normally ensures that agencies and even the newer online platforms other than us exclude people who want two or three hours a week because it's not cost effective to put them through the induction and getting them on the platform and so on and so forth or, or getting them ready to work. So they're excluded. Um, and they're the people who need work the most. So we, we, we took a different approach. Instead of trying to serve businesses, we just enable businesses to connect to people in a mutually beneficial way by removing all the barriers that stop them connecting. Oh, that was some waffle, wasn't it? No, I don't think that was awful. That was really interesting. So when you say you remove the barriers, um, it, practically how does that work? Because at the moment, if you want to work with uh, an organisation on a sort of temporary basis or relatively short term, you, the normal way people would do that would, I guess, go to um, one of the well-known recruitment agencies in, on the high street or maybe they'd go online and, and try and register there. How 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 does your system remove that friction and the 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 overhead that you talked about? A really good question. So there's two types of temporary recruitment. There's high end temporary recruitment where uh, agencies will bend over backwards to accommodate the candidate because it's worth an awful lot of money to do so. So if a candidate wants to work five hours on a Tuesday, somehow they've they they juggle it around because that's worth that their markup on that person's hours work is enormous. The people I really care about and labor exchange we're incredibly passionate about is people on low pay and low skill. And in general, agencies need them to be available 100% of the time to do temporary work because it costs a lot to get them in, induct them and get them ready. So what tends to happen is these are people who are looking for permanent work but they can't find it at the moment, so they're willing to do temporary work. Or, for various reasons, they get stuck in this temporary pool. But all the agencies pull from this same very small source of temporary workers, because not many people want to do temporary work because the sheer nature of it. And 
in general, you have to be 100% available. If you go to a general agency and say, listen, I want to work two hours on a Wednesday, I've got two hours free on a Wednesday, and I'd like to do some work then to top up my income, they'll laugh you out the door and they'll say, I'm really sorry, the chances of me finding you something is a million to one. And the funny thing is, the agency's right, actually. The chances of finding one person work on a on a Wednesday or Tuesday for two hours is a million to one. But they've looked at it a different way. So what we do, instead of trying to find people to fit jobs, we turn around to people and say, when do you want to work? Not what day, but what hours. So if you want to work on a Monday between 8 and 9, just after you've dropped the kids to school for a couple of hours, fine, put it down. If you want to work on a Wednesday and so on and so forth. So everyone puts these really crazy ad hoc hours down. Now, individually, we won't be able to get those people work because we haven't got anything to offer a business because the chance of matching them are very little. But if you combine those people with another 4,000 in their area, you'll have 100% shift coverage 100% of the time. So a business has got the people they need when they need them, but the people going to work in the business, it fits exactly um, their personal requirements. So people only ever work when they want to work. And we've actually turned it on its head as well. So no one ever applies for a job, ever. All they do is say the hours that they want to work and the skills they've got, and they do a profile with a 20-second video. And the reason for that, twofold. One, you put pressure on people to work when you want them to work which is what agencies generally do. They phone up someone and say, can you work next? No, I'm a bit busy. Or oh, if you don't do this one, I can't guarantee you the next one. It's, so we remove that entirely. It's, it's just people just, yeah, I'm free then. That's great. Secondly, for the business, it's, this creates the most reactive staffing system for business there is because Normally, they'll phone up an agency or go on a different work platform and say, I've got this role. This agency will then put it out and say, is there anyone free who wants it? They then come back and they say, yes. They then pass that detail on to the business who says, maybe. And the whole thing can take between one or two days. Hours, the people have already said they're available. The business goes on, searches for the hours they want. Three people come up, best fit selection, and they click book. And it's that quick. So from a business searching to booking a member of staff can take between one and two hours instead of one and two days. So you can literally have someone in your premises the same day. But here's the thing. There is no pressure on the individual because they've said they're free and they want to work that time. And if they've got something else and they say they can't do it, that's fine. But that's why we always return three to the business because we've, we've kind of worked out that any one time between 30 and 60% of people might have got their availability wrong. So that, that's how it works. So it's a, it's a really different way of looking at it. Instead of filling roles for businesses, we just ask people when they want to work. Okay. No, I understand. Uh, and the whole process is automated as well. So there are no individuals involved. We've built the entire system so you know from sending out the messages to the payment mechanisms from a to b so our cost base in comparison to an agency is <laughs> is is minimal and with those savings we ensure that the individuals always get paid at least the real living wage so when people work through labor exchange it's well worth their while doing so but at the same time the business pays no more than they would a traditional agency 
So that leads me on to two questions, and one hopefully will be quite straightforward and simple to answer. So how, do, how does Labour Exchange get compensated for, for this service? Then? So a business pays on top of the hourly fee £10 per booking. Okay, that's a pretty straightforward business model. Um, and how does your service then differ from what we've seen a lot of and heard a lot about, the, the gig economy uh, type setup? So, the, the, you know, we all know about the obvious ones, but there are lots of less obvious companies that are operating gig economy style workplace, which I know that you're not doing, but it'd be good to just understand the key differences. Yes. Uh, funny enough, what I'm going to say is going to sound harsh, but it's an honest perspective. So if we screen an individual coming onto the labor exchange platform and we do all this vetting and so on, let's say we spend two hours of man hour into each person who signs up, that individual becomes worth something because you've invested in them. So you then have to extract value from your investment. That's generally how the gig platforms work. So let's say I want to be a driver for one of them. They do all these checks, all these screens, so on and so forth. And then they have to make a lot of money from my labor. Labor exchange isn't about making money from people's labor. So it costs us nothing to sign people up. Absolutely zero. And we've done that on purpose because we are then not looking at from these people as a, a source of revenue. We're just seeing them. We actually call them members. So they sign up as a member of Labour Exchange saying when they're free. And we're really honest. We say this is not an alternative to full-time work and it never will be. Um, what's happened surprisingly though is lots of people go somewhere for four hours and they offer them a full-time job and they change jobs. Um, it's a good way to get people yeah, into, into different kinds of work. Um, so, I'll drill down, but that approach is fundamental. So if you operate um, and you have to extract value from one side of the marketplace, which is how everyone else operates. So the, the concept of a marketplace to labor exchange, it's one of our core principles, is it should be fair and open and balanced. So there isn't someone behind the scenes pulling the strings trying to make as much money as possible you're just creating a method for people to connect to employers in an open and transparent way um, so there's never any pressure on individuals we do have a rating system but we have a rating system for the business and the individual and we clearly tell the individual how the rating system works it's really open really really open and it's really really simple as well how it works and one of the reasons is we don't want there to be any kind of fear that you have to take a job when you don't want to take a job because you might be rated badly um, so everything we try to do is really transparent and open with the end goal of the individual and one of the biggest things we do differently our major partner is a trade union so when everyone signs up, they get three months free membership of a trade union. And we actually actively encourage them to organize and unionize because we think it's a good idea. Um, so we, we start in a very different place. Uh, we don't start in trying to fill a business need. We start with trying to connect two groups. 
and that is a very different approach if you start trying by trying to fill a business need you'll then introduce all sorts of mechanisms into the system that skews it in favor of one side of the marketplace which generally means in all these gig economy companies and, and I, I won't mention them by name but one thing they didn't anticipate was the cost it's basically they've got in getting people on keeping them losing loads of people and getting new ones on because you're treating people like a commodity so the churn rate of people on labor exchange is virtually zero and their cost of acquisition of people coming on as members is close to zero <laughs> because people just want to do it it's a fair way of doing it that's really really interesting so you 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 are coming from a fundamentally different place um you're you are literally putting two sides of the marketplace together you're not favoring either side and you're certainly not looking to exploit uh, either side either it's purely uh, as the name says an exchange uh, which I think is quite unique, uh, certainly in terms of marketplaces. Um, in terms of marketplaces in general, then, um, we touched on a little bit there about what makes it fair. One of the uh, issues or problems with marketplaces is, is, is scale. Um, how, how, have you, how have you dealt with that? Because for a marketplace to work, I guess you need a certain number of people in, engaging on both sides. That, that's a brilliant question, actually. Um, and when we first started, we was a little bit flippant with, with that. Oh, yeah, it'll be fine. Um, but it's a lot more trickier question. Um, and one of the things is a very localized approach. Um, so uh, our algorithm, basically, most people only want to work within one mile distance of their house. Um, which is absolutely fine. So everything we do from marketing to businesses to marketing to individuals is very, very localized and very one piece at a time, if that makes sense. So get that locality yep. correct, move on to the next locality. The second is we didn't anticipate the level of corporate interest, so large companies. Um, but, yeah, they are really struggling for staff all all over the board um, so that basically creates a firm demand for a lot of the business activity um, yeah so, so it's, it's that very localized approach and, and the second one I call it a 1.5 sided marketplace um, so it's not a traditional one-on-one because we're really honest with people we say listen you may not get work for a week for two weeks maybe even three um, but when you do, it fits your life exactly. Individuals are quite patient because currently they're not using that time for anything. We're not denying them working opportunities elsewhere. So when it does come up, they're just really chuffed, if that makes sense. It's extra yeah. money as opposed to um, regular income. And with one of the changes in universal credit, people have to prove they're looking for more work if they're currently underemployed to get those kind of benefits. So when we designed it, it's designed for those kinds of people. So that, yes, I've got this job. I need to be looking and doing something else as well. And we kind of fit that quite well. No, that makes a lot of sense. So you touched earlier on, on values and the values of your organization. 
how how do you ensure that your values are carried out and sort of lived through your business um, th- throughout the organization, whether it's through uh, directly through your staff or through, and this must be difficult, the larger organizations that you that you work with? Uh, so th- this is a bit of an eye opener, but we've actually turned down probably four major contracts with FTSE 250 companies uh, because it didn't fit and it didn't work um, for one reason or another. Um, others are fine, but there were certain tipping points where it's actually, no, we're not going to sacrifice that side of what we believe in. Um, and well, you can argue this might be slightly naive, but they all carry on doing what they're doing and they won't be able to get the staff. So eventually, my opinion is they're going to have to come back and go, actually, you're right, we do need to take this new radical approach. Um, we, we have three core statements, and I can't remember the exact wording, but, but the first is uh, individuals aren't lazy, basically. Um, it, it's thinking the best of the person, because you, you hear quite often um, that people don't want to get out of bed and work and do a hard day's work. Actually, I don't think people want to do a hard day's work for a bad day's pay. So that's one of the things we always make sure. So the pay's right, the conditions are right, it's on their terms. The second one is businesses aren't evil. Um, I, I've, I've never met a business owner or someone from any business who wants to do bad things to people. Um, sometimes they don't plan the bad things that could happen from the actions they're doing, but that's naivety and that's not thinking enough, but they're not bad people. So if you start from those approaches that people are fundamentally good, businesses are fundamentally good, it puts you in a good stead. And our final one is everything we do, the marketplace has to be fair, open and transparent. And if you maintain those three sides, that people are good, businesses are good. And if you create this fair way for them to connect, so that that's what we live and breathe. So when someone says, actually, can you skew it slightly that you do? No, because then it won't work. It won't work for you and it won't work for the individual. So, you know, I don't know if that's answered the question. I went around the houses a bit there. No, no, no. It's, it's really interesting that, um, that you've actually turned major contracts away because they didn't meet with the values of the business. I mean, that I guess is, a very strong message uh, that you're sending out that um, if companies want to work with you, then they they have to, you know, sign up to the values that you're you're bringing. And I guess that's that's one of the big reasons why you started the business was to ensure that people that find themselves in this situation are served in the, in, in the best way and not taken advantage of, which I think is unfortunately what happens most of the time. And what we've talked about um, just now, the way a lot of the gig economy is run, it's, it's to take advantage of one group over another. C- completely. I, 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 fundamentally, this is just my opinion, and I'm going to mention a couple of companies here, but fundamentally there was a problem in the cab industry. I think it was done a lot in the favour of the drivers. And that's, abs- that, that's fine. You know, That's what the industry was. However, I think any industry that's just in favour of the consumer 
has gone too far. There's got to be about, in, in economics, they always talk about equilibrium, the equilibrium of price between buyer and seller. And we've got to talk about the same, I think, in the labour market, in equilibrium. If it's all one-sided, eventually it's going to fall to pieces. It's You've got to meet it in the middle where actually both the consumer and the people carrying out the work are happy. So we're, we fundamentally believe in it. We call it a win-win. Everything we do has to be a win-win. It has to be a, if it doesn't work for the business, it's never going to work for the individual because there's not going to be any work. So you have to have an offering which businesses want. But if it doesn't work for the individual, it's not going to work for the businesses because no one's going to want to carry out the work. So it's about meeting this middle ground. And one of the things we've tried to do is hollow out all the cost that the recruitment industry takes to ensure both parties are happy. So that's where we've gone is reducing those fundamental costs. So people connect in a cheaper way, ensuring people get paid better and so on and so forth. Got it. Got it. So just to change tax slightly, Jonathan, the, I listened to a um, BBC uh, documentary that was on Radio 4 about your business. I think it's the early stage of your business. And that was interesting because it was talking about your sort of early funding journey. Um, it'd be good to understand really your thoughts on the funding in, in the tech industry, particularly for uh, tech for good businesses like, like yours. Um, it's quite interesting. I, I'm going to have a slight moan, but I'm just going to be quite <laughs> honest. Um, we have a very, very radical and different approach and a lot of tech funders don't really understand what we're doing on why. Um, I, uh, unfortunately, so Labour Exchange has been quite a long time in the making. Um, and whilst it's been in the making, lots of other work platforms have popped up. So one of the things is, and, and don't get me wrong, obviously there's a problem in us getting the message out to the funders, is that oh, you're another work platform. Well, no, we're, we're about people and a supply side solution. Um, I, I think the tech for good side is maturing. It's getting there, but it's a long, long way off. Um, so I'll, I'll give you a, for instance, we've been turned down for several major grants because in quote, we were too commercial and it was too likely to succeed. Um, Innovate UK said it's a brilliant idea it's got to happen the industry's crying out for it but we're not going to fund you because it's too likely to succeed and i've got that in writing i can forward that that was their exact comment right. which was oh okay that's, that's a little bit odd um and then there's the other side where uh we, we've turned down certain pieces of funding uh because they wanted to do things like sell people's data to uh, loan companies and stuff like that it's like not 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 so much um so it's I, I sometimes feel we're slightly between a rock and a hard place and we've you know we're quite fortunate that we've found some really good funders um we we was going to do quite a big round last november which we've delayed by six months um but yeah it's it's sometimes Sometimes I think people can lose the concept that you can be a very successful and profitable business by doing the right thing, not 
you can be a very successful, profitable business despite doing the right thing. Um, by doing the right thing, I think it makes you more successful and profitable. And I, I don't think some of the funders uh, have quite got their head around that bit yet. That's really interesting to hear that because all, all the data that's out there uh, shows that uh, businesses that have a distinct purpose perform better than those that don't. And there's been various reports, articles, uh, and I think probably the most famous has been um, the CEO of BlackRock last year talking about how he'd be looking to invest in businesses that are very clear on their purpose. Um, I know that's at the other scale of what we're talking about here, but I think if people of that caliber and, and who analyze businesses on a day-to-day basis are, are saying that's a criteria, a key criteria for their investment, then, then clearly um, these businesses perform better and, and, and these fund managers are looking, looking at that much more seriously than, than they used to. So it's, I guess it's my hope that that starts to trickle down uh, in, in, in the investment community um, and in the wider business community. Yeah, I, 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 I completely agree. I, I think it's a maturing funding environment. Um, it's, it, it is getting better, but I think it, it, there's still a substantial long way to go. Um, I, I have to think people expect you to be all fluffy and lose a fortune but do good stuff or be super nailed to... Uh, you know, profit and bottom line. Um, where actually there's this massive middle ground, which I think is where eventually everyone will sit. Um, the, the only thing I'd, I'd throw out there, and, and this is a really weird point, just going on funding and so on and so forth, is I, I think one of the things that's connected is about thinking about the harm you can do whilst doing good. So labour exchange has got the potential to actually destroy the labour industry and make conditions worse for people. So, for instance, people could sack someone, take them on through labour exchange um, because people through labour exchange are self-employed and it makes it better and cheaper for them to do. So we put a great deal of thought into how to make sure things like that never happen. And half our platform are safeguards for people. So if someone does the same role repeatedly, it blocks them and tells the employer, you have to give them a proper contract now. Now that actually took a lot of constructing and making, and we didn't have to do that. But it's the harm, how do you mitigate the harm you can do? And I, I worry sometimes that some people say a brilliant funding potential in a business that it could grow immensely. And I think Facebook's a great example. I don't think Facebook ever meant to cause any harm ever. I think it was a wonderful egalitarian view of the world that you could connect people. But no one went, oh, hang on, we've got the potential to really mess up society here. How do we mitigate that? And I, I think funders have a responsibility to think about the harm a business they can, they're investing in can do as well as the good, if that makes sense. So you, you can have a really good mission and intend to do good, but still destroy half the planet in the process. Um, and I don't think they've quite mastered that yet. I guess what you're referring to there is the law of unintended consequences. So you, you, you go off along one path, um, expecting a certain set of behaviours and then those behaviours elicit another bunch of behaviours which you weren't expecting. And it's, you can't always predict that, I guess. What, what you can do, though, is be aware as soon as they're there and, and take steps like you have um, 
with respect to repeated uh, job openings that are that are of the same type of job um and i guess that's it's being aware i think um is how to deal with it yeah yeah completely because otherwise i think we could have a whole tranche of really well-meaning businesses actually chipping away and doing some bad stuff (laughs) unintentionally but but that was a just just my opinion on stuff yeah, no, no, no. I think Facebook, I think Google, you could put them in, in there, in that camp too. They're, I think their one of their values when they started was uh, we, we will do no evil. Uh, and then, of course, um, lots of people have been poking and pointing and saying, well, you do evil here and you do evil there. And I certainly don't think they started out in the business. Well, they definitely didn't uh, think it'd end up where, where they are now. So it's, it's, I, it's tricky. I agree. And the interesting thing is with Google, if the term tech for good had been around back then, I think they would have been classed a tech for good company because fundamentally it's improving the information flow to people. Brilliant. Fantastic. Um, and it just goes to show you that with good intentions, you can still do bad stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, in terms of you talk very generally about how the platform works and, and what the aims and goals are. Could you Can you give any specific examples um, either of, uh, companies that you've really helped out or, or uh, individuals that have really benefited? Yeah, so uh, here's, uh, I suppose, a really good example is uh, a hotel chain. They needed, I think it was 15 members of staff the following day. And I don't think there's an agency or anything in the world where you could book those people within two hours and get them into your premises. So they booked the individuals, they turned up to the premises, they did the work, it was 100% turn up, and they covered that staffing gap. And they've been a repeat customer ever since because it's, wow, I I didn't even realize this was available, this kind of thing. Um, So it's it's quite an interesting thing, actually, because we're so different that within – I think we counted it. I think it's within eight clicks a business can book a member of staff and have them in their premises. Now, there is no other that, – that's, that's way out there. That, that's crazy out there, which is really great when it happens like the hotel thing, but there's a barrier to come across. There's some smaller businesses that actually it can be that quick. We quick click-click staff. There's no other way you can do that. Um, so that's a business side. And an individual side – this is one that really moved me actually. So there's one particular guy called Hassan who I think he got nine different um, pieces of work through different companies on the platform. And he was eventually hired permanently. He got a full-time job. Now, one of the thing, unintended consequences, talk about unintended consequences is the amount of unemployed people who are signing up to the platform. Um, despite us saying it's not an alternative to full-time work. So we're working very hard with the union at the moment to try and guide them to training and different stuff. But what actually happened, this this guy called Hassan, because we've eliminated CVs because one of the things we recognized was written English actually holds back so many people, and they're brilliant people. Most companies don't care about your written English. They care about your attitude and work ethic and yet they screen people by CVs. It's a crazy way of doing stuff. So we we kind of removed that, and I spoke to him. I think he'd been unemployed for two and a half years. Now, this guy got five stars in every piece of work he carried out, and he's still employed by the same people employed him permanently, 
because he's a brilliant worker. Now, how and why was he unemployed for two and a half years? Because the barriers in place in the recruitment industry, the CVs, the screening, the stuff. So actually for me personally, that's, you know, it's one of the things that when you're having a really crap day that <laughs> brings a smile to my face because I'm thinking actually, yeah, that fundamentally has changed the guy's life because the current system didn't work for him, but he was a brilliant bloke. Um, yeah. So they're the two I'd probably highlight. Oh, they're both, uh, especially the last one, the wonderful stories. And like you say, when you've got those down days, as all entrepreneurs have, they, they must be great to, to draw strength from. Yeah. Um, so what's, what's next for Labour Exchange? Uh, good question. So one of the things we want to do is turn the candidate side uh, for individuals, build that even more. Um, so one of, one of the obstacles for people changing jobs we've overcome, which is experience. So they can get little bits of work and get this little bit of experience to pad out their CV. So we're currently constructing an auto CV builder. So as people do little, little bits of work, it automatically generates on the bottom of their CV, although we're trying to get rid of CVs, but if they want to employ for jobs outside the platform, suddenly someone who's been working at McDonald's for two years and they can't get an office job, has done three or four days filing or, or whatever, and suddenly their employment opportunities are open for them, de-risking it to employers. Also, we're trying to build on some free online training. Um, so someone potentially say they want some warehouse work one of the barriers for them getting that work is manual handling so these are all things that individuals can do if they want to that we don't force them to do but hopefully it makes their lives better in doing it um, so we're trying to pad that side out on the business side um, we're trying to work in the public sector at the moment so we're evolving the model for the care industry um, now, this is something I'm ridiculously passionate about. So my mum is going to need care uh, mm. probably quite shortly, actually. Um, now, one of the problems in the care industry is the travel. People normally don't get paid for the travel to and from premises. Now, how brilliant would it be if my mum got looked after by her next door neighbour when the children are at school? So it's local people doing local work, which is what we're all about. So we're trying to work with a few councils at the moment to really get that moving uh, because, you know, the care industry is short 150,000 people across the UK. Right. Now, if, if that doesn't say to you, you've got a problem, I don't know what does. But equally, there's a whole host of people who'd love to do little bits of care work quite locally and who'd be brilliant at it, you know. So that's that's the next side um, on the business. It's just uh, we've got quite a lot in the corporate pipeline that we're just hopefully embedding more this year. And hopefully by the end, maybe not this year, but halfway through next year, we should have complete UK-wide scale. Um, that's that's our plans. Wow, it sounds like a, a really big year then, 2019, uh, for, for both Labour Exchange and New South, Jonathan. Yeah, yeah. Last year, we, we had a couple of uh, uh, downer points uh, on a personal level. Unfortunately, I had a stroke in the summer, which set us back quite mm -hmm. substantially. Um, but it's, it actually helped um, because it it forced us to 
push more out into the team and build more as an organization and less about me, if that makes sense. Um, so, yeah. But we put a lot in place last year, ready for us to go crazy this year, hopefully. So, Jonathan, just to sort of wrap things up, really, what, what advice would you give to business owners or other entrepreneurs that want to add more meaning to their work? Um, first of all, be really honest. Why do they want to add meaning? Um, there's no point adding meaning about something you don't care about. So if you're going to add meaning and you want to do something, it's got to be something you genuinely, genuinely care about. Because otherwise, talking about the unintended consequences, you're just going to end up doing harm. Secondly, um, however difficult you think it's going to be, times that by 155,000. Um, and thirdly, just don't give up. Just be persistent and keep going. So there'll be times of the grind that you get through. And when you get those nuggets, like I was talking about the Hassan thing, you know, you've got to hold on to those and go, this is why we're doing it. Um, yeah. And eventually you'll, you'll get there. Great. Oh, that's really sound advice. I can really identify certainly with the last two points. Um, so where, where can people find out more about uh, Labour Exchange and yourself, Jonathan? Uh, so if you go to www.laborexchange.uk um, or you can go to our partner, Community Trade Union. Uh, they've got bits about us and how we work together. And they're the best bits. Um, alternatively, and I, I'm, one of the things I'm really open about, actually, um, is that if anyone's thinking of starting doing something in the tech for good side, I'm more than happy to help and share my advice. So I'm more than happy for you to give out my email address to people because I'm really open. One of the things when I first started this many years ago is I found it very difficult for people who thought the same as me. Um, so anything I can do to, to help anyone on their journey, I'm more than happy to do. That's brilliant and really kind of you, Jonathan. So I just want to say thank you, Jonathan, for sharing your story with us today and showing us all how you can t conduct business with meaning. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks a lot.